Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Azagari. And I'm fucking back. I'm back from the dead. Uh, <laughs> I missed last week's episode because I, I got married and Connor it was great having you there. Woo. Uh, not, not the ideal first week of marriage because we both caught COVID. <laughs> uh, our daughter got COVID. Um, that was like on Tuesday. We're recording this on Saturday night. Um, now we both have it, me and my, my, my wife now. It's weird saying that out loud. Um, <laughs> so not ideal, but you know, uh, we've been able to hang out together and just kind of hang, watch movies, watch TV shows. And, you know, while you're sick, it's also nice to just be in each other's presence. So there, there, there has been some, some positive notes. Uh, but I'm super excited to talk about this movie today. First reformed, uh, one of my favorite movies from the past, you know, from, from the, the decade, 2010s, that's one of my favorite movies from that decade. One of my favorite A24 movies, for sure. One of my, probably my favorite Ethan Hawke performance. Um, I, I really, really like this film. It's Paul Schrader's, to me, his masterpiece. Uh, of course, he's had, I think he's had better screenplays, uh, like Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. But I do think that this movie, him writing and directing, is it's, it's his magnum opus. You know, it's like, how, how good can you get? And we don't know how much longer he's going to be around. So it's cool to get movies like this. Uh, late in late in the game for him uh it was nominated just once at the 91st academy awards for screenplay paul schrader uh, it came out in 2017 at um a camera which festival in the fall of 2017 but then it didn't get released uh you know nationwide or worldwide until may of 2018 so that's when i remember that's when i got to see it and i was like holy shit this movie's really good but my immediate thought was it's going to get it's going to get bypassed by the Oscars completely because it came out in May. It's this really tough, dark, gritty movie about faith, about, you know, one's purpose in, in this world, especially coming from, you know, Reverend Toller. <laughs> he has like no idea what's going on. Um, so I, I thought, oh, it's going to get bypassed. People are going to forget this movie. Um, I do think people have kind of forgotten it. It was only nominated once. Had it come out in November, I think Ethan Hawke would have been up. I think Schrader would have been up for director. I think it had a chance at best picture. I do think that stuff matters as far as the calendar goes. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've seen time and time again, incredible films come out outside the window and get completely bypassed. And it's just not fair. And we see, you know, mediocre films take top honors because they came out to the right people. They came out when people were paying attention. And you know, at the end of the day, it is all just a you know, vapid popularity contest. But, you know, we got to find value in something just like Toller does in life. So, yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it is a, it's a silly game, but it's a game we play. So, you know, yeah. so be it. Um, a huge reason we're doing this, this movie, is because uh, the Black Phone just came out, right? Uh, yeah. Ethan Hawke doing another horror movie. I love him in Sinister. I love, I love what he adds to kind of the the protagonist uh, character in, in that movie. But I, I think it's super exciting that he gets to play the villain in a, in a horror movie. I have not seen it yet. Uh, of course, you know, cause I got COVID. I'm going to, I'm going to wait to go see that. I might try to see it during the week 
uh, coming up. I would love to. So that's kind of why we chose this movie first performed to kind of, you know, shout out Ethan Hawke. I think he is one of the, one of the greats of his generation that's been totally underrated, you know, compared to his, his peers, which is fair. I get it. I think Ethan has taken kind of a different path than the rest of these guys like Leo, you know, and Brad Pitt, those kind of guys. I think, I think Ethan Hawke has been a little bit more ballsy with his choices and, and his unrelenting, um, compassion to work with Richard Linklater, I think is could maybe have held him back at some points where he could have worked with different filmmakers. And he's like, no, I just want to, I want to work with my buddy, Rick. So I'm very grateful for that because we've gotten, you know, the before trilogy out of it, we've gotten his work in tape, uh, boyhood, you know, he's waking life, all these movies that I fucking love. Uh, it's one of my favorite director, actor, you know, duos is, is Linklater and, and Hawk. But I do think he's, um, kind of a tier below those main guys because of his choices. Well, not a lot of actors have the patience to sign on to a 10 year project like boyhood and see it through to the end. Um, So I'm sure, you know, I think you're at a party, you mentioned to some producer like, Oh, I signed, I'm working with Richard Inklater for the next 10 years on this ambitious project. And they're going to look at you like, okay, (laughs) like you might be crazy. I'm sure that, that factored into a lot of it, but also, you know, I think the decisions he's made is, have been really smart. His, he's definitely done qual, uh, quality over quantity as opposed to a lot of other um, quote-unquote movie stars. But I think, you know, recently I think he's been getting more of a, a uh, mainstream spotlight, what with, you know, Moon Knight and now the Black Phone. Like he's, I think he's, he's in kind of, a, kind of a good spot right now in a way that I think more people, more mainstream film fans are like, paying attention in a way they haven't been in his career. I think uh, I hated him initially. And uh, through this, through the, the show, I've, I've come to really appreciate his work. So there's, yeah, there's that. That's great. Yeah. 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 I think he's had a great year with Moon Knight, the Northman now black phone. Yeah. Uh, the Northman. I forgot about that one. Yeah. He's, he's had a good 2022 for sure. Yeah, I love, I, I've always said Ethan Hawke is like my movie dad. So uh, if, if someone's going to, is going to have a good year. I hope it's him. He was nominated for Training Day, of course, alongside Denzel Washington. Uh, obviously gets overshadowed there, but he's great in that movie. Uh, he also was nominated for two screenplays alongside Richard Linklater for Before Sunset and Before Midnight. Those are the second two movies in the trilogy. Uh, so he helped write those movies, which is also kind of something else he has in his bag is being able to write. Uh, and then his last nomination was Supporting Actor for Boyhood. So, you know, he's got He's got some stuff stuff in there. He's got a little resume, which is cool. He's got more than Paul Schrader does, which is crazy. That is crazy. I the amount of incredible work Paul Schrader's turned in over the years, and that's that's all the recognition he's got. <laughs> yeah, Paul Schrader's one of the most like disrespected, great film con- contributors I think we've ever had. Uh, I mean, the guy the guy wrote Taxi Driver, which is a movie that goes beyond the definition of influential and has changed so many people's careers. I was just talking about uh, with my, with my friend, my other friend, we were talking about Oscar Isaac and we both watched this interview where Oscar Isaac talks about how um, Moon Knight co-star Ethan Hawke. He talks about how taxi driver is for 90% of performers. It is the movie they watch where they say, I want to do that, you know? Um, and I think you have to give a lot of credit to Schrader's, like what he gave De Niro to say for that movie, like that you got to give him a lot of credit. So I, I've always loved Paul Schrader and Raging Bull is such a great movie that I've been wanting to do on this show for a long time. 
it, it will come. I'm thinking about later this year, we're going to do Raging Bull, uh, but we'll, we'll see. Scorsese's got a new movie coming out in the fall and it's like, what do you do? What do you do for Scorsese? You know? Yeah. It's, it's hard, you know, to, to pull back on this show, especially because there's so many incredible favorites that we want to just go after one after another, but you know, then what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Then we're out of, we're out of fuel. We got to go to the reserves and we don't want to do that yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With, with, with Scorsese, it's like, well, if it falls on a, Best Picture Showdown. Well, then we'll do The Departed. We'll go ahead and fucking knock that out. If not, it's like Goodfellas, Raging Bull, Cape Fear. Like what? I love some of these movies, so uh, it's it's tough. But that's that's why we do it. Is is uh, you get excited for those picks? And I was really excited when we figured out we we're going to do First Reformed. It was like this is the movie that Ethan Hawke should have been up for. I know he wasn't, but he should have. And maybe should have won against Rami Malek. Come on. Like I think Christian Bale, Christian Bale was great in vice. I think Bradley Cooper is great in a star is born. And then after that, I think Ethan Hawke is next in line. I think like Rami Malek, just take him out of there and put Ethan Hawke in at least. Yeah. I'll never for the life of me understand where that win came from. It's so TV movie. It's, it's not like, yeah, it's, it's not Oscar quality work. It's not terrible work by any stretch. It's just, no, no. Bohemian Rhapsody, like, I don't, that movie could have been so much more than it ended up being. And I feel like we got kind of the, like the diet version, uh, version of the film and up against, you know, those other guys, like Christian Bale was robbed, but Ethan Hawke absolutely should have been in his place. Yeah, I agree. You know, you know, what's funny is I've been one of the, you know, I'm glad Bohemian Rhapsody got, got brought up because music biopic. Uh, did you, you saw Elvis, didn't you, today? I so, did see Elvis today. How, how was that? It was really, really good. Um, something to, Baz Luhrmann was just the right guy to tell this story because he brought you know, his, his combo of, you know, classic setting and modern music that he's always done with like Moulin Rouge and the Great Gatsby. Bringing that to Elvis was Austin and Austin Butler is one to watch out for. Holy hell, was that an incredible performance. Uh, and Tom Hanks, obviously no slouch, plays a great, yeah. unlikable son of a bitch. It's, it's awesome. This whole character of Colonel Tom Parker, that's such a strange story. How this guy became Elvis's like owner, almost. It's so weird. And uh, yeah, I was impressed. I, I was in awe. The, it was really cool. And I've always been a lifelong Elvis fan anyway. Uh, despite, you know, the problems, but <laughs> the, the film does address all that, uh, his relationship with, uh, with black culture that is, uh, pro- pretty problematic, but, um, uh, I, I gave it an eight. I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm, I think it has a chance come, uh, award season. Good, good. Yeah. That's exciting. I know, um, my, my, my wife now, she wants to see it really bad. I've never been, never been an Elvis guy and, nor am I a Baz guy. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's not my person. But you might be I the do, wrong audience for this. Yeah, but I do want to see it just because uh, it looks like a spectacle. So that's good to hear that you, you enjoyed it. Uh, I know it's a, it's a movie that you should probably see in theaters just because of the music and, and whatnot. So I'll definitely, definitely try to check it out. Black Phone's higher up on my list. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I really want to see that. Uh, Caleb saw that today and said it was absolutely incredible. So good. Yeah, good, good. Horror good. guy says it's great. It's probably pretty great. Yeah, we'll definitely check that one out. Anyways, I, I think I think it's always fun to kind of connect 
what's happening now with this show. Uh, there's just limitless history involved with the, we're, we're getting close to a hundred ceremonies at the Academy Awards, you know, which is just crazy to believe. So there's just a lot of history that you can kind of go back to. And uh, I mean, even if we were doing, we were shouting out Elvis, we could shout out Tom Hanks. We could shout out, we could shout out Moulin Rouge, you know, we could, you know, there's, there's so many routes to go, but I think, I think Ethan Hawke and Paul Schrader is the way to go. Uh, and I also think it's cool that we could kind of open a conversation about movies that are heavily based in faith and religion. And so I want to do a top five, you know, religion movies. <laughs> I don't really know how you see them, you know, uh, like your, your group of five movies, Connor, I don't know if they're all faith-based or, you know, just, just strictly religion. Mine are kind of all over the place, but bottom line is all five of them make me think about religion and make me think about faith. And that's the most important thing, I think, when I was coming up with this list. Mine, I went more in a direction of like, to me, religion is vastly problematic and a serious, like, hindrance on society. So I went with five films that I think poke holes in religion the best, like films that take them to take the whole institution to task and refuse to compromise on a vision. And uh, I do think we might have some overlap. Okay, good, 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 good. Well, without further ado, let's, let's hear your number five. My number five, uh, going straight into the pagans. We have the wicker man. Ooh, good pick. <laughs> uh, me, uh, Caleb and Josh and I did this on the Filmgasm podcast a few months ago before Josh uh, went on deployment and we just got to celebrate this gem of a movie that is basically amounts to Catholicism versus paganism on a Scottish Isle where Everyone gets to just be naked and happy and carefree and just enjoy life. And this uh, very stiff upper lip, highly religious cop is sent there to find a little girl. And he's like, what is wrong with these people? And they're all like, get the stick out of your ass and have some fun. And of course, you know, they're all fucking crazy and they burn him as a sacrifice for some wheat. But it is a, a very entertaining film, a very creepy horror uh, adventure, one of Christopher Lee's best roles, and a film that really shows how psychotic religion can turn people. Can people with faith in the darkest shit are capable of anything? And films like this show that it's not just you know Christianity; it's, it's paganism. It's it's everywhere. It's man's belief in whatever they think is going to make them prosper. It doesn't matter what god it is; just that there is going to be a god who will do something for you if you do something for him. And yeah, I've always loved this film's approach to, to religion. Uh, yeah. Great pick. Uh, I, I, that's 73, right? Yeah. I also have 1973 for my number five. You can guess what it is. The exorcist. <laughs> uh, strong. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Seventies. They, um, seventies horror specifically, you know, you could go a lot of routes, you know, um, I don't want to step on your step on your list at all, but there there's multiple movies from the seventies that are horror that kind of center around some, some God and devil shit, you know, that's really, really cool. And I think the exorcist has always, has always been my favorite from that decade, as far as, you know, just kind of uh, spiritual horror goes. 
it's got so many things in it that uh that that kind of define my admiration for the genre so many things in the screenplay that are so perfectly put put onto the screen that uh i i i turn to mostly when i question why do i love horror why do i keep watching these movies i kind of come back to the exorcist and when i first watched it as a kid and hearing those things of you know about if you if you believe it hard enough it's gonna happen you know and if someone you can call it going insane but that person is like believes that to be true and so therefore it is happening to them you know uh you the, the power of the mind you know it can, it can go that far and i love that about the exorcist it's also pretty scary uh i don't think it's a movie that anybody complains about how well it's aged it still looks crazy good has great performances uh william friedkin had just come off of doing the french connection and he's just bam bam one of my favorite back-to-backs of any director that's ever existed and i had to put this movie on here um i just i love its approach to how serious this can be you know how serious it can be to have a child um infiltrated by a, a, a demon <laughs> you know it's 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 fucking cool but also dark and i love how serious it takes itself and that's some of my favorite stuff from the 70s so i, I don't have any other movies from the 70s but this is the one that kind of represents them all, you know, otherwise all five of them would be from the seventies. Uh, and then wicker man is definitely one I considered. That's awesome. Uh, I will save my thoughts on the exorcist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And the exorcist, you know, um, uh, just out of my five movies, it has the most Oscar nominations. It has two wins. Uh, for I believe best sound and best screenplay uh, it was up for best director best picture you know tons of different stuff and I just wish we were still on time where we cared about horror like that as far as the the academy goes and I do think there are movies that are good enough uh, to, to garner that kind of respect you know uh, to get double digit nominations and two you know more than one win that kind of a thing I do think there are horror movies from the past 20 years that should have gotten that kind of love and it just sucks that in the seventies, it seemed like they were uh, paying attention more to this genre. Yeah. Somewhere along the line. I don't know what happened. Uh, just the, you know, as usual, the wrong people are calling the shots. Yeah. Yeah. Basically it's just, so it's amazing when you look back and you're like, what the exorcist was up for the most awards that year. What? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, my number four takes us far away from the Oscars. Uh, good, 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 good. <laughs> to a, uh, a, co- a, a noted comedic, uh, comedic director named Kevin Smith. Uh, yes. 1999, Dogma. <laughs> I love Dogma. <laughs> I don't think we've ever really talked about Kevin Smith. Not really, no. Especially on the shows, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a guy I've always had a lot of respect for. Uh, and Dogma <laughs> Dogma got banned in a lot of places because of the way this film tackles God. And I just love the way this film lambasts religion in such a smart way. It focuses on two renegade angels played by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, because of course, uh, who are trying to Perfect. exploit a loophole in... Uh, Catholic dogma to get back into heaven. But if they do that, they are then uh, subverting God's word, which is, you know, set in stone. So doing that will obliterate the entire universe. So 
God charges an abortion clinic doctor with uh, stopping this. And it's just perfect. <laughs> You've got a great uh, cameo from George Carlin as this like hip new cardinal is trying to introduce people to what he calls the buddy Christ because the Catholic church doesn't have the greatest image these days. So it's like Jesus going like, you know, Hey, you got it. And it's so funny. Uh, you got Chris Rock as like the forgotten 13th apostle of Jesus Christ, Rufus. Yeah. <laughs> you got Alan Rickman as the, as Metatron, the voice of God and Alanis Morissette as God. And it's just so rule breaking. It's insane. It's like you weren't allowed to do this until Kevin Smith did this. Mm. And I love that. He's a, he's a rule breaker. He's got Jay and silent Bob as prophets of the Lord. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a, it's a wonderful watch. It's so funny. And it's got a good message of just, you know, God doesn't give a shit what you're doing as long as you're doing something good. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I remember I watched that movie. I was too young to quite understand what they were going for. And then I rewatched it as an adult and I was like, oh my God, this is borderline genius. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I love that you picked that. I had no idea that you, you loved that movie like that. Uh, yeah, that's, you can imagine uh, I, I come from a pretty, pretty heavily, you know, Christian based background uh, as a kid and went to church and went to a private school. And so that movie yeah, I. When you said that we didn't know you could do this until Kevin Smith did it, like yeah, I totally agree with that and echo that. Uh, it was it was almost it was, it was like important for me to see, you know, that you don't have to take you don't have to think this way. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be this serious. You can you can you can have your own own relationship with God, or you don't have to have one at all. I love the the movies and the TV shows and novels that point out that this is just a story. Like, it's yeah. not, you know, it's not fact. It's not like Kevin Smith did not get smote for making dogma. Like, you can fuck with this stuff. And I think the people who fuck with it are the most creative people who can find, you know, new ways to kind of reimagine and reinterpret thousands of years of religious dogma. And I, I like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's a great, that's a great point. That's a good pillar to have in your top five. Uh a type of film that can can fuck with it, you know, in a comedic way, not just, you know, because there's like this is the end from whatever 2012, where they they take it to like great great lengths in there, you know, it, it gets. I, I love that movie. I think it's really funny, but it is. There are a couple times where you're like, all right, there's not really much creativity here. It's more just bashing. Dogma's dogma's very creative and sticks sticks to that. Yeah, for sure. And it is not the last time I'm going to be going into comedy here. But, okay, uh, good, good. <laughs> yeah. What do you got? That's awesome. Well, uh, my number four is the movie we're talking about today, First Reformed. Uh, yeah, we're, we'll talk about it a lot. This is uh, when I first watched it, I couldn't believe I couldn't believe it. I felt like it was made for me. Uh, and I guess it was because it didn't even like break even at the box office. <laughs> so I guess I was the only one who went and saw it. Uh, don't meet a lot of people who know this movie or like it or have a relationship with it. But when you do, you know, there, when you do find somebody, it, it is impactful. And there's, you know, I don't want to step on my own awards that we're going to give out later to First Reformed. There's some dialogue in this movie that just puts it on a table and lets you kind of just marinate in it. 
And that's my favorite aspect of it is how patient it is and how willing it is to go into those tough conversations. And I also love how weird it is. I love how fucking weird First Reformed is. There's some scenes that are totally out there that are like sci-fi horror type stuff that doesn't make any sense. And I love that about it. I love, I love its willingness to get up off the ground quite literally and be weird. And, and Ethan Hawke, man, just when I saw this, I was like, see, like, I know he has this in him. He has this gear that he can go to where he is one of our great actors. And I think first reformed him not getting nominated is such a crime. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. It's one of the ultimate snubs for me from, from the Oscars is, is Ethan Hawke. You know, I, I look at Ethan Hawke and I look at Tony Collette from Hereditary the same year. You could have done something really cool. You could have had these two very different, very unique, amazing performances from people who don't get enough credit. And uh, I just feel like they dropped the ball there. But uh, I, I fucking love this movie. There's a reason I picked it, you know, to go with, to go with kind of, you know, black foam instead of going with Elvis. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to be talked about a bunch later on in the episode. So I'll save my kind of deep thoughts uh, for it till, till later. But um, it does connect with my number two a little bit. So I'll bring it back up when I say my number two. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, this, this film is really odd, but definitely worth a few watches to fully appreciate. Um, I love the whole idea of a, like bringing up, like, why doesn't the church back up climate change? Like, yeah, you'd think that you would, God would want you to protect his, his place. Yeah. It makes perfect sense to me, but like, uh, will God forgive us? Yeah. Oh, Jesus, man. Yeah. And, and, and it's great. It's great how it ties in Ed Balk, Balk Industries, basically funding the mega church. So the mega church is like, let's keep it hush hush. And then you come to the realization that this is probably happening everywhere and scary. It's very scary. Church being financed by big business. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Church and state. <laughs> uh, um, my number three is The Exorcist. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, one of the greatest horror films of all time. Uh, maybe the greatest faith-based horror film of all time. I I tend to think so. I, I don't know if it's my like favorite, but it's the best I've seen. Yeah. I I had this. I basically had to flip a coin between this and the omen. In the omen, I didn't want them both here. Okay, the omen is a movie I was alluding to earlier. Like, there's '70s gems out there, like the omen. Yeah, uh, the Wicker Man, the Exorcist, that are just holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the '70s was the first era where people really got to express themselves in film in a way they never had been able to before, and going after God was big on their list. So that's why a lot of these films exist, and I love that. Uh, nothing's more establishment than the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, The Exorcist beat out The Omen for this specific top five, mostly because of Father Karras. Mm. Uh, I love the character of a disillusioned priest, possibly about to leave the cloth, who is forced to confront the darkest evil possible and find the faith within himself to save this girl. That is the crux of this story. And yeah. that wins out for me. I, I love that story. I, I read the book recently, too, and I was just like, this is so good. They, he did such a great job. <laughs> but um. Yeah, it's, it's awesome to just watch somebody find their purpose in life over the course of two hours and watch Jason Miller's performance is fucking beautiful. And I just love what he comes up against and what he succeeds against. I mean, unless you watch Exorcist 3. 
<laughs> but that's that's for later. Uh, but yeah, I, this was definitely going to be on my list. It's such a great movie. And um, I wanted to have at least one positive faith story here. And that's what I went with. <laughs> where, where there's like some winning yeah, involved. Yeah. Yeah. It's about a priest finding, you know, what he's supposed to do. His, what is God's plan for him? Kick Pazuzu's ass. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you think you think you're questioning stuff. Just just give me a second. Yeah. I, I, I also love Ellen Burstyn's great in this movie. Obviously, Max Boncito. Lee J. Cobb is awesome. Linda Blair is great. And, and Jason Miller is, it's one of the all time horror performances. Uh, it, just his facial expressions when he's, when he's going through what he's going through are for whatever reason, relatable. You're like, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. And then he gets thrown into this. Yeah. This ultimate faith test that, <laughs> that no one could really survive. You know, uh, if you and I were thrown into it, we'd, we'd run, we'd leave. We'd never, you know, never go back into that room again. But uh, Father Damien Karras is, he, he buckles up for it somehow. It's so good. Yeah, that movie fucking rules. I can't wait to do it on this show properly one day. Yeah, me too. I, it's, yeah, it's going to be fun to revisit that with everything we've gathered since. Yeah, yeah. I think I knew how important it was when I first saw it. And then now it's like there, there is no way to kind of, cap this movie it, it is influential beyond beyond measure and that's 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 a huge deal for for both of us we love the history of this stuff so um great great so you have the wicker man dogma exorcist yeah i've got exorcist first reformed and my number three is a movie that we both watched for the first time because of the show way back on episode 30 we talked about the apartment from 1960 and we both found out how good Elmer Gantry is. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about Elmer Gantry. Fuck, I want to re- I want to redo my list. <laughs> this is yeah, th- this is the movie that I thought we'd both have. Uh, uh, my God, you know, just probably my favorite lead performance of all time from Burt Lancaster, or one of them. It's it's probably my favorite Oscar win from any performer ever, alongside Daniel Day Lewis and There'll Be Blood. Um, Lancaster is the fucking man and we've kind of figured that figured out why through this show uh when we did you know from here to eternity that was great you know you're like okay here, here he is kind of playing to playing to type you know but Elmer Gantry is like a showcase for Burt Lancaster playing this this salesman who's who turns into a pastor a preacher <laughs> and just you know fucking loses his mind in the game you know in the game the business of of religion the business of christianity uh just this movie's brilliant it's so fucking good and we've always talked about wanting to do it on on this show after seeing it um it'd be cool to talk about richard brooks obviously burt lancaster and it'd be cool to kind of go back to 1960 uh because that is a true heads up the apartment verse Elmer Gantry. I don't know which one's better. They're both amazing movies for very different reasons, but I do think it's a true best picture race between those two. So it's always fun to kind of go back and revisit them a second time, a second time. But I have seen Elmer Gantry since we did that because this is right on my alley. It's right on my alley of, of kind of exploring the business side of this stuff and exploring the personality side of it. That even to be a preacher, to be a pastor, you kind of have to be able to sell yourself as if you're like a musical artist. And I think First Reform touches on that with Cedric the Entertainer. <laughs> and I think Elmer Gantry touches on that big time with Burt Lancaster 
as as Elmer Gantry. So yeah, I fucking love this movie. I thought for sure you'd have it. <laughs> I absolutely would have, but I, compl- I, I it slipped my mind. I was putting this together with kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing, and I just completely forgot Elmer Gantry. Damn it, man. I feel bad. Uh, that, should be here. that should be it, here. Well, I'm glad I have it, you know, that we can talk about it, because it's so fucking good, man. That is, I, I love that movie. It's, yeah, I, Burt Lancaster is one of those just pioneers of certain types of performance, and I... I love that whole, the way that that film just skewers, you know, the fucking, uh, what was it called? The revival movement. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Just, you know, hottest ticket in town. Come see Elmer Gandry. Yeah. It's like a circus. He's under the tent. He's under the big tent. He's sweating like a dog screaming at people. You're all sinners. <laughs> uh, so good. Yeah. yeah we got to go back to that. Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be beautiful to kind of. That's kind of how I felt when we did Treasure the Sierra Madre. We went backwards like to a movie that we discovered on this show. Yeah, uh, not discovered, but watched for the first time. Elmer Gantry, I didn't really know anything about. Uh, Me neither. So when we when we watched it w- with the apartment for Best Picture Showdown, I was like, "Whoa, this is why we do it. This is why we. This is why you put an arm out there, put a limb out there, and just see what happens. You know, and sometimes you bring back." A movie this good damn straight and it is kind of funny uh i guess my mind must have been on some similar wavelength because my number two is there will be blood Ooh, yes yes <laughs> so the spirit was in there it was just pointing yeah. in the direction <laughs> uh there's so few films where like there is no good guy where the con man and the church are basically doing the same exact thing, just with a different coat, coat of paint. And Daniel versus Eli is one of my favorite head-to-heads in film history. Just these two snake oil salesmen trying to own this town in their own devious little way. And, you, you know, faith is kind of the backdrop of There Will Be Blood. It's mostly following, you know, Daniel's oil plot but over in the background, you've got Eli forming his church and getting it bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where it's an actual threat to, to Daniel when he has to make a move. And I just love, I love seeing that kind of church, you know, the, the church of the, of the West, the church of the frontier, where it was just, it went where the suffering was and it tried to own whatever it could. And mm. people found power in that people, you know, preachers became Kings of these towns because they, they were God. They spoke for God. And you don't, you don't talk against God because it's, it's just great. And Paul Dano sells that so fucking beautifully. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is it's an excellent movie. It's, you know, without Elmer Gantry, this film doesn't exist, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think Paul Thomas Anderson has a lot to give to Burt Lancaster and, and Elmer Gantry alike. Um, I don't have there will be blood because I was like, <laughs> I was like, let me do one PTA movie on my list. Otherwise oh. four of them will be, <laughs> of you know, uh, I would have had, well, I would have had three. If I was really doing my favorites, I would have three PTA movies in my top five. So I was like, let me do just one. So I chose, you know, I chose a different one. Uh, but Jesus Christ, you know, there will be blood is I like better than, <laughs> than most of the movies on my list. Um, it is the ultimate 
my favorite thing about it is that it doesn't treat you treat you like an idiot, but it also isn't confusing at all. It is very much here's the American dream, and here's Christianity and religion getting in the way of it, and them colliding and realizing that hey, we can actually make a partnership here, and it's still happening to this day. <laughs> it's still it's still very much very relevant and applicable to to now, which is I think a good connector with First Reformed, where he's like, oh, in in order to kind of be hush hush about stuff or get the people who are quote unquote good and have good belief and good values to get them to shut up. Let's just feed them, get in their fucking pocket, you know? And I think, you know, Daniel, Daniel Plainview is like, I'm playing the game here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this because it's ultimately going to benefit me. And I'm going to be the billionaire out of all this, you know, Uh, I'll just let, I'll let the church kind of, you know, be something I, I act like I'm helping out like, Oh, good. And then you have those little moments of whenever uh, towards the beginning of the movie, when they're, they, they build their first, you know, oil rig uh, on, on, on the Sunday's land. And he's like, well, allow me to do a prayer over the rig, you know, over what you guys are be doing. And Daniel Plainview doesn't let him do it. And he just goes straight to, to, to working and running it. And that ends up being this, this thing that, Oh shit. Do you believe in karma? Do you believe in uh, if you don't bless something from the Lord that it's going to fail? You know, like those things are, they're, they're on the nose. They're right in front of you, but they're executed so, so well. So I don't think this is PTA's most mysterious movie, but it's his best movie. (laughs) Like there will be blood is his best overall movie where if you like film and you like the history of what this stuff is. And if you like music, Johnny Greenwood's score is one of the greatest ever. I think There Will Be Blood is just just perfect. You know, it's a true 10 out of 10 type movie. And it it combines church and the American dream, like, just wonderfully. Very scary, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm noticing, like, a trend in the films we've chosen are films that have really kind of shown, like, somewhere along the line, the church, like, left God behind. Mm. Became yeah. a big- became a corporation it's it's a you know and i i i like when when shit like that's told like we need to be reminded yeah. from time to time that these are not the institutions that care for us anymore no one's you know no one's feeding the poor no one's like that, that's all that's all done now it's just you know mega churches and shit and it's just yeah first reform show that especially well yeah it's great because you <laughs> You, you, you know, the idea of going to church, neat, with your family, it's neat. That's, that's, that's like cute and whatnot, you know, if it were actually how it was. But really, the pastor is up there standing and he's like putting, you know, he's, there's a fucking basket going around the church that's for offering. And it's like, well, wait a minute. How does this guy get paid? Oh, he's taking our money so that he can, you know, fair enough. It's a job. You know, it's, it's, a, fucking, it's a fucking job. But coming to those realizations and actually talking about them and not just being like, well, this is what the Lord wants is, is my favorite. It's my favorite thing to bring those things to the forefront. I, I went through a phase where I was just straight up angry at, at religion and Christianity. Now I, now I'm more kind of like, well, do what you got to do, but at least kind of stick by it, you know? Um, Cause there are things in the Bible that if you believe in them, they can probably make you a, a better person. You know, there's some good stuff going on there as far as morale goes, but nobody really sticks by it. You know, it always comes back to the Gandhi quote of, I love this idea of Christianity, but I hate Christians, you know, um, that's, that's like what it boils down to, you know, is people fuck it up. And 
boy, there will be blood is just one of my, one of my favorite movies that tackles a lot of that stuff. And, and is just Daniel Lewis, Daniel Day Lewis, like <laughs> just doing his thing. Yeah. I love watching all these people claim they know what God wants and mm. either bites them in the ass or it makes them billionaires. Yeah. And if you know how to play that game, all the power to you. I wish I knew how to play that game. I would be, I feel like I would run a great cult, but uh, <laughs> I, just, I feel like I would. I bullshit people all the time. I don't get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Good, good shit. I'm glad you have that on your list. I'm very curious to hear what your number one is. Uh, my number two is a movie that I, I know you don't like, so we don't have to talk about it too long. <laughs> uh, it's The Tree of Life from 2011. Ah. Terrence Malick. Uh, Terrence Malick is a Christian. He's an, uh, you know, uh, a man of faith, and it shows in his movies, uh, whether it be you know Days of Heaven or Tree of Life or Night of Cups. You know, a hidden life. He, he very much likes to play into that stuff and think about think about what it is. You know, how how seriously are you supposed to take this stuff and uh, live it out? Teach your kids. You know, it's 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 really really fascinating stuff. The Tree of Life, uh, you could say that it's not really a you know, faith-based movie, but um, it opens up with uh, a verse, Job 38, 4 through 7. Um, and in First Reformed, that is the, those are the exact verses that Ethan Hawke uh, reads at the funeral for Michael, which I thought was really cool. Huh. It's like, oh, they, they both use Job 38. Job is a fascinating um, book in the Bible. If you like storytelling, I do think Job is like worth, worth your time. You know, I think the Bible has some books in it that are like, if you're able to separate mm-hmm. that, Hey, this might just be a story. I yeah. think there's some really cool stuff there. I know the story of Job. I know that yeah, one. It's yeah. great. Yeah. He's the guy who like God and Satan, they're like, Hey, let's fuck with this guy until he picks a side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is cool. That's cool as fuck. Like it's dark. It's scary. It's weird. There's no way it actually happened. <laughs> Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, the tree of life though is, is also, I'm a sucker for it because of the cast, you know, Brad Pitt, Jessica Chastain, Sean Penn. It's also based in Texas for a huge, huge chunk of the movie. Uh, we have a family growing up in the like late fifties in Waco, Texas. And I love the production design. I love the cinematography from Emmanuel Lubeski. I love the direction from Terrence Malick. And I, I very much recognize that it's, up its own ass and very pretentious and uh is it is the definition of kind of an art film but i i I fucking love it i just really it's really really speaks to me it doesn't really doesn't really even make sense as a movie it's just this weird experience you know that that i I feel a lot of connection to and my, my main thing about it is i can't believe how good it looks when the there there's specific scenes that i love like when brad pitt brad pitt's so good in this movie when he they're at they're at uh, uh, lunch, eating lunch at the table, and he just fucking you know like loses his mind and is like grabbing his kids, and it's like this old school fifties Southern type dad who's like now Jesus would have it this way, you know. It's it shows the problems of of the uh, typical American family through through you know the twentieth century, and I'm glad that I'm glad to see that some of that has changed over time, the acceptance of what your kids believe in and who they are rather than telling them this is how it is. I love that scene when he goes to, after they all the kids leave the table because they're like freaked out of their dad and 
Jessica Chastain starts picking up the the dishes at the table and is putting them away. And he's like, you fucking turned them on me. You know, like you turned them on their own father. And she's like, I did no such thing. You, you did this. You, you did this. Cause she's the, she's the forgiving, uh, more, uh, what's the word? She, she's the more forgiving side of Christianity that, Hey, acceptance is okay. It's okay. When a kid makes mistake and Brad Pitt is like the, he's the father, he's the, you know, the head honcho who's like, no, it will be, we will be in line. <laughs> she's new Testament. He's old Testament. Correct. That's how everybody's always, always seen it is that he's, he's the one who's stuck, stuck in old ways. And she's like, no, there's, there, there are different ways to do this, which is another fascinating thing about the Bible is that there's these two contradicting testaments in one book that at times in the old Testament, these are, these are parables and stories and stuff that tells you pretty much straight up how it is. And in the new Testament, there's some weird shit in there. You know, if you ever read through revelation, there's some weird stuff in there and it'll, it'll change the way you think about, about this most popular religion in the world. I always got the vibe that it was just like, you know, like most people, God kind of mellowed out when he had kids. Yeah, yeah, Tree of Life, I did not like a second of this movie. I just (laughs) found it to be boring as hell, and I don't know what the hell was going on. I don't know why, like, halfway through, it's like Mallet decided to just show the entire evolution of the planet. Yeah, so cool. (laughs) But, you know, I have no... I have no issue with, with you loving the movie because I like one of my favorite things about you as a film fan and as, as a person is that you genuinely do love these movies. Oh yeah. I love, yeah. I was watching cause I was like, should I have this? I was thinking about having there will be blood as my two and another PTA as my number one. And I was like, ah, let me do just one PTA. And so I was like, well, what would take the spot? And I was watching videos on the tree of life and I was like, you know what? I'm it's okay. I love this movie. I understand it's, fucking uh, uh, like kind of wacky as shit but that's 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 malik and i i've always loved terrence malik so uh one of my favorite texan artists for sure and and his his like battle with faith is is relatable to me yeah i respect that um you know i just i'm glad it's not like you know every like somebody said it was a classic so you love it that's the mentality i can't stand and you're very much not that so that's why well you too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't care what people think. <laughs> it's not, not really. And tree of life is like one of my favorite movies to read um, previews of. Cause it's, it's so hit or miss. People are like on, on Letterboxd. It's so much fun to read, read that stuff. I also love reading Paul Thomas Anderson movie reviews on Letterboxd. Cause there's people who are like, get out of your ass, you know? And then there's people who are like me who are just like, this is fun as hell, you know? And he just understands what filmmaking is, you know? And, and I love that. That's like, that's the cool part of it, you know, is these different opinions. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Um, okay. So I think that's, is it my one? Yeah. We're to our number ones. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this was the first movie really dealing with God that I ever saw. And Mm. it stuck with me my whole life and has become kind of my template for the way I approach religion. And that is 1979's Monty Python's Life of Brian. (laughs) Yes. Or as as Eric Idle once called it in a press junket, Jesus Christ, lust for glory. 
I love it. And this is a movie about the boy who, the child who was born in the manger next to Jesus, a kid named Brian, who is mistaken for the Messiah and just doesn't want to deal with any of this shit. (laughs) And is constantly trying to get out of it. But people won't leave him alone because people on en masse do not think for themselves. Uh, sure, sure. It very much parodies the you know ancient Romans and the Bible and Pontius Pilate and these these figures. And uh, you see Jesus Christ just walking around in the background uh, doing his thing, and Brian is like people are following him. And it's it's so clever and so funny and was so banned. Like every every religious institution was like this movie's the devil bury it and ultimately you can thank george harrison for keeping this movie alive so that's crazy yeah he he was he was like this is a great idea i'm gonna help you produce this and he's got a cameo in the movie that's all he wanted he was a monty python fan and i love that and now Uh, it's a now it's a criterion edition you know movie yeah now it's one of the smartest religious films ever a brilliant comedy and it just such a fun movie of yeah, that this is my uh, this is why I really have such a sarcastic view of religion because I first learned about Jesus Christ through Monty Python. <laughs> that mystery solved. That's peek behind the curtain. That's that's where it comes from. Brilliant. God, that's a good pick. I didn't. That wasn't on my radar. You know. Good. Uh, you just gave me this movie. You you gave me a Criterion edition back in December. Uh, th- that's great. It sits on my shelf. Great movie. I admire its dedication to setting kind of a template for how you can fuck with this stuff. Yeah, and and still probably the best at it. You know, uh, like no movie has surpassed it uh, as far as com- you know comedy comedy wise. You just this is kind of where you can turn to for this kind of stuff. There's a character in this film who's a, who's a, a transgender man. And he's like, you know, I, I want to have babies. And they're all like, well, that's interesting. And they support his decision. Like, this was 1979 in a film that takes place in, like, you know, biblical times. And you've got that. And you've just, it's ahead of its time in so many different ways. And I, 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 I admire Monty Python, that troops, uh, amazingly. And, I mean, Holy Grail is probably their masterpiece. But an argument could be made for Life of Brian. It's like neck and neck for me. I like Life of Brian better. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's got more balls to it, you know. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think overall, I think in the great scheme of things, Holy Grail has always been kind of the the one that people the people know about, you know. But yeah, it's easier to sell coconut horses than it is, you know, fake Christ. Correct, correct. That's exactly right. So you got you got to you know those people who banned this movie over those years, you know, for the past forty years, people have not wanted people to see this. Whereas Holy Grail has never really gone through something like that. So it's a, that's, that's a big deal. So the real, if you know, you know, you know, it's like yeah. kind of, that kind of a movie. Great pick. Awesome. Uh, can you guess what my number one is? I have a feeling. The Master, 2012. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you could, I could have put Magnolia here. Um, the movie's messing with Freemasonry and Christianity a lot. Um, of course, there will be blood. But I think the one of PTA's movies that is masterfully tackling the subject of religion is The Master. Um, it is unbelievable what he got, what he got PSH and Joaquin to do 
just putting them head to head in these situations of, you know, this, this naval veteran who stumbles onto a ship, the ship happens to be, you know, basically run by Lancaster Dodd, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's the leader of the cause, (laughs) which is basically Scientology. And uh, watching those two kind of figure, figure each other out and the relationship of a master to, you know, someone that's like an, uh, you know, the apprentice. It, it's fucking cool as shit, you know, watching those two, two of my favorite performers of all time. And PTA is like way ahead of his game, just destroying in this movie. So committed to his, to his goal. Uh, so all those things are going for it. Right. But the religious stuff is like fucking hilarious to me. Like there's moments in this movie that make me laugh so hard just because of how committed it is, you know, how dedicated it is to, to kind of poking at stuff like this, poking at cults. <laughs> and I respect PTA so much for this movie because you could make a comedy out of this, but he decided to know, like, no, these people are serious. Like this is a self-serious movie. And these people are actually going for it here, you know? Uh, Amy Adams is like, you know, this isn't fashion, you know, <laughs> this, this is something you're, you're either in or you're out, you know, this isn't something that just lasts for a little while. It lasts forever. Uh, but that's not, that's not meant to be a comedic line. That's meant to be really serious. And it is. And that's why it makes me laugh because you're like these, these fucking people, you know, there's people like this everywhere who hone in on something, something so ridiculous. And I think the master not only is it shouting out, you know, Scientology, but I think it's shouting out all religions and all those kind of crazy ideologies that just when you look at them and put them on paper, you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know? And even within the movie later on, when Laura Dern comes up to PSH, comes up to Lancaster and she's like, well, what happened? And he's like, this is the book now. (laughs) This is what we do now. This is the way, you know? And she's like, well, you just changed it out of nowhere. You kind of changed your entire philosophy with one book, with one sentence. And he's like, well, fuck off. Like, (laughs) what do you want from me? (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's when you realize this is a guy who's making shit up on the fly. You know, uh, I love when his son says that Jesse Plemons, his son is like, you know, he just makes this shit up as he goes. Right. Like, (laughs) and Joaquin Phoenix is like, no, no, it's not. There's no way. Like this guy's a genius. Um, There's so many great moments in this movie. And, and PTA and Johnny Greenwood, like these guys are just, just the, the masters of their, of their craft. And it's probably always going to be my favorite PSH performance. I've never, I've never fallen in love with somebody so fast, you know, on screen like PSH as a kid. And as I've gotten older, it's just gotten stronger, you know? Um, and this is to me, his, his masterpiece as far as performing goes. I think, I think there's a handful that you could point to, but I've always connected with this one. It's like, there's no one else in Hollywood. It could have done that. No one else. Uh, You can say the same about Joaquin. They're both amazing. So I love this movie. I love the, what it does, how it pokes at pokes at religion, not just one, but kind of kind of does like the South park thing where it's like, everybody's up for grabs. We're going to poke at everything in a general way, uh, but also keep it honed in on a story. And that's just great storytelling. It is a, a brilliant movie that, I mean, Anderson clearly believed in it. I mean, you know, it's, it destroyed his uh, working relationship with Tom Cruise forever. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I also I love how this film shows both sides of it. He show you know we get to see Joaquin's character find the cause and believe in in Lancaster Dodd and you know think this is gospel, and then we also get to see him realize he's completely full of shit and he's been had. Yes. I love that part where he's like, this is no prophet. This guy's a shitty writer who is good at manipulating people. And I can't imagine realizing that this movement you've devoted your life to waking up one day and finding out you've been lied to and it's bullshit. And you, what do you do after that? Like, how do you pick the pieces up and find something else? Like, how do you find the next step in that? And I mean, he doesn't really like Joaquin just kind of like, that was it. <laughs> but there are people out there who wake up and like, and take, you know, you, for example. Yeah. Yeah. You woke up and I'm sure you had to have a moment of like, fuck. <laughs> and I, for yeah. sure. For I, sure. Yeah. This is Tom Fullery. <laughs> this is, this is blasphemy. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely had that. I was 17 or I was 18. I was 18. So like my whole, my whole life up until then, it was something I, I, in some capacity, believed in. You know, I believed in, and that's Christianity, not Scientology. Uh, definitely, definitely, uh, yeah, grew up, <laughs> you know, grew up in Texas, grew up going to church, going to, going to uh, not just private school, but a Christian school where we had Bible class. And every Wednesday we had chapel. And uh, I believed it to be true so much that I moved to another country for it. You know, I thought that my purpose in life was to teach other people about God and to share some sort of light that I had, that I had inside of me with other people around the world. And so I moved to Romania at 17 and about a year into being there, I literally snapped. I literally had a moment of like, I don't want to be disrespectful and say that I was like possessed, but a part of me was, and a part, a part of me really like took it too seriously. And those are the people that, that I think are kind of being made fun of in the master, you know, is like, really, you're really going to stand, you're going to die on this hill. You know, this is, this is what you're going for. Um, it's not just something that you're kind of, you know, grappling with. You're like, no, this is it. And fuck everything else. You know, like, this is what we believe in. The cause is everything. Like, really? Really, you, you you realize you only have one life, right? <laughs> like you're gonna die one day, and you're gonna regret that you didn't explore how vast this world is, and how many different ideas, and how many how many brilliant people there are out there. You know, I, I don't know. It's crazy. Your prophet's gonna be a, a shitty writer who screams pig fuck at people who disagree with him. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene because that guy's like, "This is horseshit." <laughs> yeah. uh, you pig fuck. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's just stuff like that. That's like it's, it's funny, but in the movie, it's not funny. Like this is very serious. And this guy, like Philip Seymour Hoffman, is red. He's turned completely red and wants to strangle this guy. Uh, that shit is the best. It's so good. Um, yeah, I could go on about this movie forever. We did an episode on it, you know, yeah. not not that long ago. So, um, I know we both really connect with this one, and there will be blood. Those are to me as a filmmaker, if you have those two under your belt, it's like, wow, I, hats off to you. You know, that's, that's PTA. He's, he's my favorite, my favorite guy. And I wanted to limit, I, I could have had Magnolia, the master and the Obi blood one, two, three, but I was like, let's, 
let's share the love. <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, I'm glad you did that. It gave us an opportunity to talk about more films. But uh, yeah, I should yeah. the master was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so good. Oh, man. The first time I saw it, I didn't really get it because I was still in it. I was 17 when I saw this movie in theaters. Um, in fact, I was, <laughs> I was with my oldest brother and one of his friends from that, that he lived with in college station. This is, you know, my, my brother's five, four or five years older than me. So he was, you know, 21, 22 and I was 17 and I, I had come back from Romania for like, I was here for like two weeks as like a trip to come back. I had to renew my license cause I turned 18 and that was part of my, you know, ID when I was in Romania. So I had to come back and like take a new picture and all that stuff. So I came back, I was like, let's just go back for a couple of weeks. And I went and visited my brother in college station for like a weekend. And the friend was like, let's go see this movie. It looks really weird. And I was like, yeah, I'll go. You know, I, I've always loved movies at least, you know, but when I watched it in theaters, I was like, this is dumb as shit. <laughs> you know, I, I was like, this is, I don't understand. I don't get it. And then I came back from Romania altogether, you know, and I watched it again after becoming a huge PTA fan. And I was like, oh my God, this is a masterpiece. You know, this, this is, this like is singing to me. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's just grown on me since, you know, uh, love that shit. <laughs> Dude, I am just thankful every, like every day that you woke up. Because <laughs> I, I don't think I ever would have gotten along with you. No, I wouldn't have. Yeah, I, yeah. we wouldn't have met. We wouldn't have met. We wouldn't have met. We wouldn't have met. And you know what? You did have a light and you shared it with me. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's what I, that's what I've I've found, you know, instead of being angry about what happened to me or that my parents did this, it's not my parents fault. It's not, I'm not going to blame anything on them. I think, I think they did what they thought they had to do. Yeah. And now, now when I have conversations with my parents, they're like, I'm sorry. We we like, we should have let you go to public school. We should have not pushed church on you so much. And it's like, that's all that, that's all that really matters is growing, you know, and yeah. re- realizing that it's not for everybody, that a child should be able to kind of choose what they want to do. You know, I'm not saying that like a five-year-old should do heroin, but if a 12-year-old is like, hey, mom, I don't want to go to church anymore. I think you should honor that. I'm personally, I'm just thankful that my family got the hell out of the Mormon faith before I showed up because there was a yeah. good chunk, like a good five, six years where we were, we were Mormons and uh, you dodged that bullet. (laughs) Oh my God. I, every, I, I'm constantly reminding my family, like y'all, y'all were Mormons. Like, don't forget that. Do you you realize that y'all are fucking weird? The more I learn about them, I'm like, my family was in this fucking cult and I'm so glad they woke up, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I was raised entirely out of any kind of organized religion. And uh, it's given me the opportunity to create my own, my own code, my own way of thinking, my own views on life and death. And I'm very thankful for that. Mm. And it's shown me that, you know, you don't need God to be a moral person. It's, Correct. Yeah. yeah I, I just, yeah, I, especially these days, I find myself uh, resenting the church more and more. <laughs> likewise, likewise. Yeah. Which is, which is my favorite part of, of, of the movie we're going to be talking about more is first reformed is that you get so angry in this movie. When you meet Ed bulk at that diner, you're like, fuck this guy and everything that he stands for and what he represents, you know, it's, that's why it's such a powerful scene. You know, you have, you have Cedric, the entertainer, 
as Pastor Jeffers, which he, he does a great job in this movie. Uh, you have Ed Balk, you have Ethan Hawke, you know, you have these, these minds that are not on the same page at all. That's why, that's, that's why First Reform is so good and why I want to talk about it more. Um, so how close is this to your top five? Is, is it a movie you thought about or, or do you need to see it maybe more? Or, 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 you know, maybe it's just, it's fucking weird. It's good. It's good, but not really in my, uh, my faith-based film archive. Okay. I just have to have more. I have to have more. Yeah. I don't know what, yeah. to, what to say, but it's more just like, I like this movie. I think it could go another 20 minutes or so. I think I, I there's, I think there's more to this story than, than we got. Mm. So okay. I, yeah, I want more. I realized that on this watch. I'm like, I could, I could keep going. Oh, definitely. I could definitely keep going. I, I do think it's pretty minimalistic, you know, uh, and it's not, not just it's, you know, setting of, up, you know, of New York. You know, it's kind of just feels kind of damp and frigid there. It's New York. It, yeah, it's 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 the costumes. Everything everybody's wearing is very just basic and plain, black, brown, white. Uh, the music is always just kind of just droning, vroom, vroom, vroom. You know, it's never kind of goes to a crescendo. It just kind of stays on the ground. Uh, and I, I love that about it. I love how it's just kind of patient and lets itself breathe. But I, I, I'm with you. I think it goes another 15, 20 minutes, and we get more from that ending. I think I. I think it could get even better. And, you know, as we saw with the films I picked for my top five, I like a more skewering, you know, critique of, of organized religion. I like more of a mockery instead of a kind of, uh, you know, handholding. And this film is very much like, you know, is it bad or is like, are we sure? Like, yeah, yeah. I want more of a like, fuck this place. <laughs> <laughs> and we get a bit of that towards the end, but not nearly as much as I wanted. Okay, fair enough. Well, let's let's dive in. Let's dive into our awards for it. Um, we have the Quentin Tarantino Award for the best quote of the movie, which is some great stuff. Uh, we have the Ennio Morricone Award for the best music moment. This is uh, the the scores by Lustmore, this kind of very specific artist who deals with certain sounds that are they almost. If you're not in the right headspace, they could put you to sleep. But if you're watching First Reformed, you're like, holy shit. <laughs> uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for Best Performance. I don't think there's any doubt where that's going. And the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene of the movie. So I'll let you talk about your favorite quote of the movie, your Tarantino. Mine comes from like the first three minutes of the movie. And that doesn't usually okay. happen. But I heard this line and I thought, God damn, that is a beautiful line. And it's when... Um, Taller's talking about this project he's doing with the journal. And he says, when writing about oneself, one should show no mercy. I have the same thing. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, I, I, I love that, that for the opening, the I have decided to keep a journal, not a word program or a digital file, but in longhand, writing every word out so that each that every infection of penmanship, every word chosen, scratched out, revised, is recorded. To set down all my thoughts and the simple events of my day factually without hiding anything. When writing about oneself, one should show no mercy. I will keep this diary for one year, 12 months. And at the end of that time, it will be destroyed. 
shredded, then burnt, the experiment will be over. You're like, what am I watching? <laughs> it's such a brilliant opening opening bit of dialogue. I love the whole, like, when this is over, it will be shredded, it will be burnt. Like, what? What, <laughs> like, what, yeah. what is this? But I love that idea of, like, you know, when when you're writing about yourself, be honest. Don't bullshit. Don't, you know, this is you on you. It's got to be honest or there's going to be no point in this. Yeah, attack. Yeah. And I love that because that's I've, I've always kind of had that in my back pocket as like a personal philosophy of like, you know, be honest because why why wouldn't you be? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I love that just to, uh, in life. I've learned to, to, to be that way, to be kind of not necessarily it doesn't need to be hard myself, but I need to look in the mirror constantly and constantly be like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And especially if you're writing, because if you're trying to like do an exercise that's therapeutic, it's like, well, go actually go there, go the full, go the full, you know, hundred, uh, you know, hundred yards. Don't just take it easy. So I, yeah, I love how it sets the tone for the movie. And Ethan Hawke narrating is like sublime. I never would have thought that, you know, you know, before seeing this movie, I would have been like, ah, Ethan Hawke's not the guy for this. You know, I just, I didn't think he had it really in him, even though I'm a huge fan. But when he opens the movie up with that and his writing uh, and you see kind of the glass of whiskey, which becomes kind of this, this thing that kind of is, is in the back of his head, you know, uh, it's so good. It's just a brilliant way to open this movie and kind of tell you what kind of tone it's going to be. Yeah. The glass of whiskey that becomes the bottle of whiskey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, interesting that we both went to that. That's cool. Yeah. I loved, I, I love that opening, opening bit. I love I love the way he says infection of penmanship. Every word chosen, scratched out, revised is recorded. You're like, God damn. There is something so much more primal and therapeutic to writing longhand. I don't know what it is about that, but it just feels more like it's coming directly from you. There is no middleman like there is mm. with a computer. It's just, it's you and then thoughts. And I, I, I love that. So you don't have time to edit your, your hands almost moving on its own. Yeah. And you're and, and, and there's fatigue like yeah. your hand, your hand gets tired as the further you go when you type that doesn't really happen. Uh, it can, but not as quickly as, as longhand. And, and we all have our own writing, which is like such a beautiful thing. So watching Ethan Hawke's actual penmanship as he's saying these things yeah, it's such a great way to open the movie. I love, I love that bit. Good choice. Good choice. Same. <laughs> I do think from that whole paragraph, that line, when writing about oneself, one should show no mercy, is the most powerful. So you could just take that on, on its own and talk about it forever. Runner-up I did have is uh, when Toller's being kind of interrogated by Cedric the Entertainer, who I still can't believe is in this. Yeah. Uh, and he, they're talking about climate change and Ethan Hawke just straight up says like, well, God forgive us for what we've done to his creation. Like, yeah. Ouch. <laughs> it's a good question. If you believe in yeah. God, you are shitting on his you know, favorite place every day just by letting the horrible shit happen. So like, I don't know, maybe rethink the way you live your life. Yeah. <laughs> Stop being the fucking money grubbing whore. Uh- <laughs> Mr. Cedric, the entertainer. Uh, he's great. Joel Jeffers is a great character. I, I, I love when, again, they're at the diner. One of my, probably my runner up for the, for the Tarantino would be um, Ethan Hawke 
it, he he's narrating again in his own head, but he's also talking. It's a great scene with Ed Balk and Jeffers. And he says, the man who says nothing always seems more intelligent. Why couldn't I just keep more silent? You're like, oh man. Yeah, Cause he does like his, his, his lines, his, his dialogue sounds so disconnected. Like he's just spouting conspiracy theories and he sounds like a crazy person. But yes. He, he really like does Michael. know what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a brilliant, brilliant scene. Um, yeah. I love that shit. Oh, Ennio Morricone. What would you pick for the best music moment? The music moment I have, um, the bit of score is called Testament. Okay. It's when Toller is researching uh, suicide bombers and he starts, Ugh. he takes the vest out of the box and you, you start thinking like, why does he still have that? And then he starts yeah. Googling videos and we're like, oh shit. We start connecting the dots of like, oh, he's unwell. He's terminal. He's interested in suicide bombers. He's got a bomb. There's a big event happening. Fuck. <laughs> And the music is just this, like this, like you said, this drone, like it's almost like a horror score of just, you know, like just in and out. And I just, I thought that was very impressive. The score is very minimal, but well, like it's placed very well. Yeah. It, it reminds me of a lot of the A24 horror movies that have happened where it's like, okay, well, at least the score fit what was happening. You know, even if it was kind of the same thing over and over. Yeah, it, it works. You know, I think a lot of the stuff that's happening in the Northmen, uh, in the witch, those movies, Robert Eggers movies, they, it like makes sense to like what's going on. Um, it doesn't have a lot of peaks and valleys, but it's like it fits exactly with what we're seeing. And I think first reformers on that same same boat. Um, mine's called Awakening, the bit of score. It's when Mary and Toller do that. They do that like physical intimacy exercise and they start floating and they're going over the universe and you're like, what is this? <laughs> What's happening? Uh, and it, it's, you could pick anything of the score from this. I love that bit that you chose because of that moment of, oh my God, he has the vest in his home where he lives. Uh, yikes. <laughs> you know? I, was expecting, I was expecting you to go with the, uh, the Neil Young protest song, Eulogy. That was great. Yeah, I, yeah that's good. that would be a good pick. Yeah. I love that. I love when Ed Bulk's like fucking Neil Young. They know exactly what they're doing. It's a political act. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was so good. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of music uh, outside of, there's not a lot of Neil drops in this, in this movie. So you really have to go with either Neil Young, uh, people singing it at a, uh, you know, a wake or this, this crazy score by Lustmorn. And I was considering the um, in the the ending the uh, the hymn that's playing as yeah. the events of Toller's like last moments, as we assume, are playing out. I thought that was good, uh, but it's just something about the drone and the the suicide. But it just it started making me think like they're right there. That little bit is like someone kind of hid a horror movie in here. Mm. I, I like that. I like when I can find little bits of horror outside of the genre. It always always makes me smile. Yeah, I think Paul Schrader is good at writing people who are obviously just kind of isolated and can't figure out their place in the world. Um, uh, obviously, Taxi Driver is like the the movie you point to for that. I think it shows throughout his movies. You know, uh, one of my favorites is Light Sleeper with Willem Dafoe, where Willem Dafoe has these moments of just narrating and he's just kind of looking around the streets of New York like well like, what am I what am I doing and what 
what are these people doing? What the fuck are we all doing? (laughs) And I I love that about him. I I think he's so good at, at that, that exact, you know, craft of talking about people not having a place and how scary that is, but also how realistic it is. You know, it happens to all of us. Yeah, it is. It's whenever, you know, you get disillusioned about the world, you, you have dark thoughts. I mean, you might not act on them, but they creep in there. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're right. That, that ending, when we do see Ethan and Amanda, uh, Mary and Ernst, when they, when they hug, when they embrace and they kiss, yeah, Ernst is a great name. When they kiss, I think it's, I think, I think it's called, are you washed in the blood? Are you washed? Yeah. (laughs) It's just really creepy. And it's also the lady that used to be his lover singing it. Uh, It's just a really creepy fucked up scene that could have been even more fucked up, you know, had he gone through with everything. So Jesus Christ. That uh, real quick aside, that hymn is sung by, uh, by John Lithgow in one of my favorite episodes of Dexter. Cause uh, he, he plays the, uh, the Trinity killer. Who's this like super prolific murderer been killing like hundreds of people for decades. But he's also secretly a very devoted family man and a church deacon. So when Dexter hunts him down, he sees him like sing that hymn at the church. And it's like, how is he compartmentalizing all of this identity in that head? Like, you know, church deacon, father, like hundred time murderer. And it's, so I have dark connotations with that song. (laughs) Good, good. That's great. (laughs) It's, It's always fun when a hymn is turned into, yeah, like, a song from Satan. It's, it's, it's great. Uh, that that's the best character of that show. John Lithgow, uh, in my opinion, in my opinion, he was the best. He was so goddamn scary. Um, but yeah, hymns are creepy. Yeah, they, they very much can be, uh, Philip Summer Hoffman award. Come on. As, as enjoyable as I did find Cedric, the entertainer, this is Ethan Hawke's movie and Hawk. We trust. Yeah. This is yeah. It. He, yeah, he's, he's lights out. He carries the thing. There's not really anybody else who has nearly the amount of screen time. Amanda Seyfried's good as Mary uh, Minstana. Uh, I like Philip Edinger, the guy who plays Michael, who kills himself. Um, you know, pe- everybody's good in the movie, but Ethan Hawke is great. And it's a showcase for him. It's, it's his best performance ever, I think. He doesn't he's never had to do anything like this, you know, where he has this much to chew on and this minimalist style film with great writing. Uh, and, and he, he, he just, we're like rooting for him, but we're also like, dude, you're, you've lost your mind. You know, like there's something about Ethan that always has this kind of just all American type. Like, ah, I just want to, I hope he does. Okay. You know? Uh, and then, he's crazy in this movie. So you kind of have to like, you kind of have to uh, recollect with that, you know? Well, it's also just the weight on this guy's shoulders. I mean, throughout the whole movie, I mean, he's got, you know, a chop, he lost his child. So he's yeah. got that hanging over him. He, this church, like he's, you know, uh, the minister of a tourist church. Nobody goes to, he's not respected. There's that. This mega church is like planning a thing that they clearly don't want him to be involved with. There's that. The person he's trying to help commit suicide and he finds the body. So there's the guilt of that. There's the feelings he has towards the wife. There's that. And then the terminal illness. And it's just, you know, the, and then all the climate change stuff he gets sucked into. It's like, how does he not pop? 
I mean, the weight of all of that shit, of course he's going to snap and react to it. And I just, I love the moments of like, here's this and there's this and there's this. It's like watching, it's like one of those videos where somebody keeps putting like a hundred rubber bands around a watermelon Mm. and then it finally crushes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautifully said. I, I think, I think one of my favorite subtle moments of, of like his character development is when the guy who plays the organ goes to the trash can and sees like three bottles of whiskey mm-hmm. and he's like, huh. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, this guy's fucking getting lit you know? <laughs> uh, at first reformed. Uh, I, I love that, how it goes. I love how this movie develops. It just, you don't really know what, how much time has passed, but it, you don't really need to because it's, just moving like real life and, and yeah it's i think it's masterful in that way and i wish wish i wish paul schrader would have been up for best director because i think he did a great job of kind of leading this movie to where it needs to go oh yeah all right so i think it's pretty obvious that ethan hawk is is our guy right for for the psh no taking away from him one of my favorite things about ethan hawk and saying that he won the psh is that quite there's an argument and i think you might be uh the guy who can make the argument best is that philip Seymour hoffman's best performance is alongside ethan hawk and before the devil knows you're dead yeah that that is like watching ethan hawk staring (laughs) staring at god he's like ah you know you thought you thought he got overshadowed in training day just wait till you see that movie uh psh is going for it jesus christ that the, the performance in that movie shows why he's on the Mount Rushmore of the greatest actors of all time. I've never seen a more powerful, like five minute scene in any, I think anything I've ever watched. I, I, I'm in all of that, just that bit of him screaming at his, like, you know, at his father. Oh my God. Yeah. Straight up that movie. I wish that had been up for anything so we could do it. I know, I know. Yeah. So frustrating. And I believe it's, that's directed by Sidney Lumet, right? Yeah, I think it was his last movie. I think it was, yeah, before he, before he, he left. Uh, like, what the fuck? How is that not up for anything? 12 Angry Men to Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. That's a, that's a career. Goddamn. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I love, I, I love that. Sometimes when I say... If I or if I say or I hear someone say it's not fair, I just think of PSH. It's not fair, <laughs> you know, just screaming. Uh, you're like, oh, I can't, can't handle it. And the the content within the movie about his character dealing with what he's dealing with. So, uh, yeah, I go see that movie. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. That movie fucking rules, and is a big reason why we have this award named the PSH. You know, even though it wasn't uh, an Oscar nominated or winner. It's one of the ones, like you said, puts him on a special place, a certain Mount Rushmore with, with the greats. Uh, so Ethan Hawke's in that movie with him. They're brothers, which is crazy. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh, so it's cool to see this might be the only time we ever give Ethan Hawke this award. So um, very cool. You know, very cool to, to, to kind of have that respect paid. Uh, the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene of the movie. This was pretty tough, but you know, I've seen this movie a handful of times now, and when I started it up this time, I uh, I knew right away. You know, it's pretty quick in the movie, but I knew right away. How about you? Uh, took me a while. I had to, um, I ultimately went with the uh, pretty much the entire ending from okay. 
putting on the vest to making out with with Mary. And I that whole bit is so full of almosts. It's like, when is the other shoe going to drop? What's going to happen here? You know, is he going to kill all these people? Is he going to just, you know, drink a cup of Drano and t- take himself out? Like, wh- what's going to happen here? And ultimately, nothing. <laughs> like, really, he succumbs to his baser instincts and makes out with the widow. And and we kind of just end. But I'm like, fuck, that was... <laughs> the fuse almost went right into the bomb there. Like, Christ. It's uh, some powerful almost. Uh, and just when he's like wrapping himself in barbed wire. Oh, it's just like, what is happening right now? Like, did he just wander in from another movie? <laughs> like, it's freaky. Uh, and then, you know, Cedric's trying to find him. It's like, what? what's he going to find? Is he going to find the bomb? Is he going to find a dead taller? Like, and then Mary shows up. It's, it's just full of like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like so many moments of like, ah. <laughs> Like shit, shit, shit. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It really is. It's re- it's really a crazy finale that could have kept going. You know, I, I I don't know, and and is pretty unclear about what exactly it means. And I've you know, I got to know what stuff means sometimes. You know, in, in movies, especially if I really like them. And with Tell this me. movie, I, yeah, with this movie, I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with this movie, I was like, I I need to know like what, what it did. What happened? And Paul Schrader has even said, there's two ways that could go. There's two ways you could look at it. He's like, I don't know. It depends what you want to look at. It. He's like, you know, she shows up. He realizes he, you know, is making and that all he needs is her love to continue on. That so there's, there's something beautiful about acceptance with another person. And so they, they kiss and the movie ends. He's like, the other way could be that he died, that he does commit suicide and that, Death is so beautiful that it feels like kissing somebody. And I was like, uh, oh, <laughs> ouch. God. And that's coming from the guy who wrote the movie. You know, this is an original screenplay. This is for, directly from his mind. And so you're like, oh, okay. So it's either kind of nice and, and good. And, you know, he, you, you realize that life is, life is okay if you have somebody to, you know, appreciate you, at least one person, or, it's that he does drink the Drano and he's dead. And that, that is like uh, purgatory. It's like a dream state that he's in, you know, of like, uh, I don't know what's going on. And the kiss is, and a lot of people read that as, okay, you're saying that that's the real, that's the real ending because why would you even bring that up? <laughs> it's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> Some fucked up shit. So basically he's just telling us like, do you think the glass is half empty or, or half full? Like, yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you want it to be a, it could be a happy ending or it could be the bleakest ending you've ever heard of. It's entirely up to you and how you feel about this. I like that. I, I do too. And I think, I mean, that's not, you know, Paul Schrader is, is not like a fun writer. He's not like, ooh, life is great. You know, it's very, oh, and it's very gritty. Yeah. He did kind of exactly that with Taxi Driver. It, yep. So I wouldn't be surprised if he did it again. Exactly. I think he's in love with the idea of a story never ending that you're, you can always think about it. You can, it's, it's always open-ended. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like we beat them. It's over. We beat the bad guys and it's over. It's very much, you know, it's ambiguity. And I appreciate that about him. Um, I, but I'm, I'm with you. I think that that whole bit 
or maybe right leading up to that bit could have been longer or could have been more um i don't even know how to explain it but i do agree with you that like this movie does probably have more in the tank and and maybe just kind of stop maybe that's a good thing though sometimes movies prolong their stay and you're like okay you could have cut 20 minutes off that thing but first reformed i think is playing with playing both sides of the fence there yeah I don't know what's worse, like a movie that outstays its welcome or a movie that leaves too soon. I don't know. I've always been a fan of leave too soon because I think we've seen that happen with art before. Uh, specifically, I think like a great TV show mm. when you, when you have a, a huge amount of time to make your story, I think it's very important to like breaking bad 60 episodes you know, the Sopranos is, you know, is, is, is a lot more. And I think there are later stages in the Sopranos where it's like, all right, let's fucking wrap this thing up. Breaking bad is like, no, don't leave me. You know, it's like you get, you get to those last three episodes and you're like, this is going to be over. You know, I, I do think that like, it's very possible. I think Dexter was like, all right, let's wrap this shit up. Like, let's fucking go. You know, uh, it stays too long. And so you kind of have this, weird taste in your mouth about the ending or the last couple seasons or whatever and that sucks and i think movies can do the same thing i see it in tv all the time i don't see it very often in film i you know yeah yeah well you know film's a lot more of a singular vision there's correct yeah you've got a lot more running you know for it you've got a lot more people projecting their own ideas onto just this one thing so i get why film doesn't see that very often but yeah, I feel like first reformed. I could have I could have used another 20 minutes, maybe some some fallout, some kind of aftermath deal. Like, does did the fear win out or did he realize like there is hope? And yeah, like did God put her there to save him? Yeah, I love those thoughts. Yeah, I think it's there's endless, you know, things to talk about with those two characters of him and Mary of what is her role in his life and what is it going to be moving forward? Uh, do they, do they move very far away and get the hell out of where they're at, you know, and move to fucking Sweden or something, you know, and, and that there's something kind of cool about that, that they probably could have done, but leaving it like that is, is dark. <laughs> it leaves it up to interpretation, which is also, you know, it's part, part of the art form. And yeah, I, I love that. I love that about this movie that it could go both ways. It could, yeah, good ending, but it could have been more, you know, and, I think that's a sign of a movie that, that leaves you wanting. That's a good thing. Uh, great pick, though, with your Deacons. I think that that finale is something, you know, something else. Watching him with the barbed wire is like such a crazy image. I've never seen that before. You know, I've never seen a person put barbed wire like, uh, you know, not, not just kind of a play with the idea, but actually show it happening and him bleeding all over the place was really effective. And then he, when he puts the robe on and you can see it through the white it's like wow this is it's a powerful image yeah wonder how they pulled that off i don't know i don't know you know uh i i wouldn't want to ever do anything like that uh i'm such a fucking baby when it comes to stuff like that when it comes to pain <laughs> thank you uh <laughs> go ahead <laughs> i just thinking like there's no i mean ethan hawk did not wrap himself in barbed wire like that's there's not no what way happened. right there's no, no. way I love how we're both kind of not entirely sure. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not because it looks it looks incredible. It's like this looks far too real. And maybe Ethan was like, "Fuck it, I'm going for the Oscar." You know? 
<laughs> it didn't work out. <laughs> uh, this is my only chance. I'm working with Paul Schrader in this weird movie. Uh, <laughs> so good. Uh, my, my Deacons comes early in the movie. It's the first time we, we meet Michael and really the only time we meet Michael. And it's when Ethan Hawke goes to Mary and Michael's house because uh, he wants to just he wants to just spill this shit to somebody that might care um and it is heavy it's a heavy fucking scene and it, it, you can look the stuff up that he's saying and it's all true you know um it's a very well re- well researched well thought out scene and watching these two guys kind of go go back and forth and not necessarily in a uh you know, hostile way. You know, Ethan Hawke is like, fuck, this guy's bringing up some amazing stuff. Um, I love when Michael says, the bad times, they will begin. And from that point, moving, that point, everything moving is going to move forward very quickly. You know, the social, social structure that we have cannot bear the stress of multiple crises. Opportunistic diseases, anarchy, martial law, the tipping point. And this isn't some distant future. You and I will live to see this. It's like, God damn, he keeps talking about all this stuff that's going to happen by 2050. And he's like, you'll be 81. He's like, you know, my child will be 32 years old, which is a year younger than I am now. You know, it's just like really, really well thought out dialogue, well written. And again, well researched. Uh, Michael is a fascinating character that we only get a little bit of time with. You know, uh, I love what he says. Uh, Are you a drinking man, Reverend? <laughs> And uh, Ethan Hawke says, it does not help. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, you are. You're a fucking alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to see the kind of demons different people have. You know, some people worry about the devil. Some people worry about climate change. And they can have the same effect on your psyche if that's what you truly believe is going to kill you. And, you know, destroy everything you be- that you love. It's, and can you blame the guy? I mean, he's got pretty good research. And yeah, that's, that's going to happen. We're all going to have to deal with that, but yeah, yeah. would you, like how do you how do you deal with it now? And he didn't deal with it in a very healthy way. No, no, and and you know I can't blame him. I I think this is this is scary stuff, you know, and, and it's very real. We can sit here and you know move on with our podcast or whatever, but like like you said, this is this is real life. You know, these things that he's spouting out are not just, you know, it's not just bullshit. It's not just hogwash. It's real stuff that's happening to the place we live. And you and I, you know, there's not much we can do other than take care of ourselves, take care of the little bit of uh, decision-making we have when it comes to the environment, you know, do, do your best, recycle, do those different things. Try not to just fucking throw shit to the ocean, throw shit on the ground, you know, be, be a good citizen. But it's up to the industries and the powers that be to care about this. And they don't. And they don't. And they haven't for forever. You know, it's a big, it's a big game to keep putting money back in their pocket. And that's no secret. If it's no secret, then why aren't churches doing anything about it? And that's why this movie is so powerful to me. Yeah. You know, George Carlin said a lot about the illusion of choice we have in America. How, you know political party doesn't matter that our, you know, everything's going to happen politically has been planned out. Like there's no, we have no real agency in this country. And he said that the only real choice Americans actually have on a daily basis is paper or plastic. And I, 
I, I take that to heart. I'm like, that's fucked up, but true. Yeah. Thank you for being honest. Yeah. yeah. So like if, if you, I mean, if you, there's a certain freedom that comes in knowing everything's going to be fucked no matter what. It's like, well then just do bright, do right by you and yours. Like, yeah. Love what you yeah. can, you know, love a lot, do a lot and make sure people remember you. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're seeing some, some crazy things right now, you know, um, you know, we're just, just yesterday because we're recording this on Saturday. Just, I think it was yesterday that one of the most insane things that could happen to human beings happened, you know, uh, dealing with abortion <clears throat> and it makes you question everything around you, you know? And, and then you, you realize, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm still like a person. I still have to like get around. Oh yeah. Gas is $5 minimum you know around the around the country and <laughs> you're, you're like oh i want to feel bad for these people that are victims of a mass shooting but i can't even i can't even swim through my own stuff you know it's like there's so much wrong that you you, you just get lost and you like you don't have empathy anymore you're like i i don't i don't know how to feel i'm desensitized to everything because it's all fucking annoying and it's all bad it's all evil and you're like, where are the people that should be helping us? Like, where are the, where are the people who have money? Oh, they're just continuing to feed their own feed their own people, you know, and not care about everybody else. And it's just a big, huge game that we like. We're just pawns in. So I appreciate George Carlin's fucking honesty. You know that you don't really have a say. You're you're just in. You're just like an ant. Big, big, huge game. Sad. It's fucking sad. Fuck, this is this yeah. is this is why we talk about movies because there's there's just like a little bit of hope in. Let me talk about something I like because I I can't handle everything else. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it because it's, it's it's just like an endless cycle. I find hope in art. That's where I go for. That's it. Yeah, creative escape for social escape for just to live somewhere else for just a little bit to. Mm to just forget that everything is so irreparably destroyed in this yeah. country. And yeah, man. And then I watch movies like this and I'm like, fuck, why are you reminded me of this? I'm here to, I'm here to get out of this. That's, that's, that's the best is when you're, you're going to escape and you're like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> this just hit me like a ton of bricks because it's, it's applicable. It's, it's a timeless kind of movie that this kind of stuff has been true forever. You know, um, and it's going to continue to be true. So we're going to, I, there's just no, there's no other way, but to just keep distracting yourself. Uh, for, for me anyway, that's just the best way I'll do what I can. Um, but there's not a lot I can do. So I, I I'm not going to act like me going up with a cardboard sign that says, you know, abortion's bad, like, you know, I like no, no, none of that, you know, or, or that, you know, I'm, I'm pro pro choice. Like that, those things don't like, it doesn't matter what I do. It just doesn't, just doesn't matter. But I'll always um, share, share empathy with the people I know, you know, the people that I am around uh, my family, my, my wife and my daughter, I will always, I always say sorry to them that they have to be women in this place. Cause that Lord knows that's a pain in the ass right now. Feels like Sisyphus just pushing the fucking rock up the hill every single Yeah. Day. Yeah. They're just watching it roll down and going back and starting the whole process over again. That's we've been, we've been like that since day one. There's been no real actual change in this country. It's 
sad and it's dark and I'm reminded of it every single day. And every time I, I want to have optimism, more shit happens that takes that away. Yeah. And you're, you, you're on your phone and you're like, I got to get off my phone because everywhere I look is it's like pure evil. You know, it's just things that are straight from hell, you know, and that's a crazy, you know, realization to have. So yeah, I, I, I'm very aware that watching stuff over and over and watching movies and whatever and, and art is, is merely a distraction that it's a thing that I have to do for my own sanity. I'm okay with that. I've totally accepted that and I'm going to keep doing it. You know, we're going to keep doing these podcasts cause it's, it helps us. It's like therapy. It's like, at least I have this to go to for, to, to, for conversation that isn't just fucked up, you know? Yeah, man. God damn. Ah, I got to watch something funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely after, uh, I watched hustle last night with Adam Sandler, the Netflix movie. And I was like, this is nice. <laughs> this is nice to just watch a, a movie star that I love doing stuff that I like. And I love basketball. So this is making, it made me happy for a good two hours. And then, then it ended and I looked at my phone and I was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> I live in the United States of America. Holy shit. <laughs> God damn. Uh, well, tough stuff. Yeah. First reform. <laughs> Thank suddenly, you. First reform. Yeah. Suddenly Michael's making a lot more sense. <laughs> what, what'd you say? Suddenly Michael's making a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Michael is, uh, yeah. Like we should have listened to him. Uh, and, and you, you know, the whole argument that he has about not bringing a child into the world, nothing wrong with it at all. You know, I, I have, I have a child. I thought about that for sure. It was like, do I really want to expose another human being to all this, all of this? And I still haven't, you know, it's still something you grapple with all the time. Uh, The world is overpopulated anyway, you know, and it's like, how, how do we keep bringing people into this place? That's just not, not suited for people. It's crazy. It's really, it's a really fucked up thing to think about, but I, I love my daughter so much and she gives me a tremendous amount of purpose and joy. So I got to be thankful for that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. She's hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I hope I tell, I've told my family a lot. I hope when she's my age that it's a little bit better. I really do. You know, um, that might be stupid to think that might be, I might be naive, but I, I have to, I have to. Well, hopefully, you know, one day when she's podcasting with my one one day child, she'll they'll be having this same conversation, <laughs> or hopefully not. Maybe things will be a little more optimistic. Yeah, maybe first reformed won't make any sense in thirty years. You know, it'll be yeah. like, oh, church is great. The church helps everybody. Yeah, doubt it. <laughs> uh, it's great. Let's look at <laughs> fuck. Let's look at um, the one category that first reform was nominated for at the 91st Academy Awards. This is a fascinating ceremony. So we'll talk a little bit about other stuff, but we got to go to original screenplay. The winner was green Green book. Uh, The favorite was nominated first reformed Roma and vice. Um, You got some big time people in this category. Green book uh, is of course the best picture winner. So it also took home this. That's a great one, two to take home. Uh, Also Mahershala Ali for, playing Don Shirley. So that movie did really well. I just, I don't think it should have won screenplay. There's no way these other movies have, have a lot more to offer to the art form. I think, um, I think my favorite would probably be Roma. 
probably probably be my vote. Um, I think Vice is great. Favorite is so weird and so out there, but I, I do think ultimately Roma, you know, Alfonso Cuarón. It's such like a fucking grounded movie about about someone that it's so personal. I think personal is the best, you know. So I, I I'd go with that for my vote. It is a bit of a, a surprise that Roma didn't win this. Uh, I figured that was the shoe in. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I guess. And for best picture, but I guess, you know, the Oscars weren't ready to give a foreign film best picture yet. Yeah, one more year. Yeah. <laughs> give, it, give it a little bit, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Um, I'm going to give it, I think, to probably Device. I just, I have a, I have a soft spot for that film. I, I don't think it's not perfect, but it is. I mean, it was difficult to make a, a film that about such recent history that's still raw for a lot of people. And, yeah. uh, but I thought that the way this film showed Dick Cheney's influence on modern politics was really smart, really layered, yeah. really like nuanced at times, but also did not shy away from the fact that he is a colossal piece of shit. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. And I, Adam McKay has become one of my favorite filmmakers. So I definitely would love to give him the win. Yeah. I have no problem with that. I, I also think it's just, we're both in the same boat that it's crazy that, that Christian Bale lost to Rami Malek. It's just fucking bonkers. So, so that category, best actor, you take out Rami Malek and you put Ethan Hawke in, and then you have Ethan Hawke, Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper, William Dafoe, and Viggo Mortensen. Yes. That's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I like that's a that. good. That's, that's a good group right there. You know, I like a lot of the wins from this, um, this ceremony, but there's just some big ones. Like, I don't think Green Book should have won best picture. Rami Malek. Mahershala Ali is good in that, but I'd probably go Sam Elliott uh, for Stars Born. Um, I love that Regina King won. I love that Olivia Coleman won. Those are cool wins. Coron won Best Director. That was cool. Um, so there's, there is some good stuff from, from this uh, ceremony. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse animated feature. Uh, this is Mining the Gap was nominated for Best Documentary this year, so I love that movie. So there's some good shit. Yeah, I agree. But there's also some like seriously progressive steps made at this Oscars that upset sure. a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So for me, I don't think Green Book is a bad movie. I think it's fine. I think it's good. I think it's got good performances. You know, it's fine. It's a good movie. I still think it's a best picture worthy movie. Yeah. Um, but if I had to take one out for a first reform, it's Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody is, is not very good. Uh, it's got some cool, fun moments, but as a movie overall, it just has no business being here. Um, I, Vice, Stars Born, Roma, The Favorite, Black Klansman, Black Panther, those are, those are solid flicks. Uh, I do think, and this is a tough conversation, but Black Panther... Good movie. Not, I don't think it's great. I think it's good. I think it looks fucking incredible. But Infinity War came off that year, which is like a which is like a far superior film. Like I don't think it's even close. Why? I mean, the the answer is that they were like, we have to be inclusive, and we got to be diverse. You shouldn't make have makeup uh, best picture nominees because you fucked up so many times in the past. So you're like, okay, the first superhero movie ever that's, you know, getting this kind of recognition is Black Panther when there's 
movies that are way better than it. And I like it. I think it's a good movie. I think it's, I think it's like meets the Marvel standard of this is good, entertaining, entertaining stuff. But Infinity War is like a borderline, you know, masterpiece when it comes to that kind of, that kind of stuff, what they're doing. Uh, same with Endgame. Those two movies, like, why are those not up if Black Panther is? Why is Spider-Man Far From Home not up? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's certain genres have always been just massively disrespected by the Oscars and superhero movies are still considered less than. Black Panther is not there because it's a superhero movie. Black Panther is there because it was a colossal hit and like very, you know, it was it was a cultural culturally significant huge movie and I get that. Yeah. Uh, but Infinity War was a better movie and Endgame was a better movie. And I just either, either include, like either take all of it into account or don't, but I don't like this like one toe in bullshit they keep doing with certain genres. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my point is like, okay, if Black Panther's up, cool. Then take out Bohemian Rhapsody, take out Green Book, put Infinity War in. And then I won't complain at all. So I'll be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. They put both of these amazing superhero movies in. Uh, and, and Spider-Man did what like no movie has done in years, you know, uh, well, a couple years because of COVID. Yeah. It, it literally like created this incredible storm of conversation and people going back to the theater. Like reward that. And it was good. Reward that. I think that should mean something when it's a Black Panther cultural phenomenon. Spider-Man was too. Yeah. It literally it literally brought humans back together. And what what do you want movies to do? It should create it should create that kind of unity, you know, of we're appreciating storytelling and art at the same time uh, and have differing opinions about it. That's that's like what it's for. Yeah, I agree. And we see this throughout many years of the Oscars where it's films that are up that nobody fucking cares about, nobody wants to see and it's, you know, a room of pretentious clip watchers just grabbing whatever they were able to see at the time. It's ultimately just, you know, pointless and meaningless, but you know, we, we, we see value in it. You know, Academy yeah. Award nominated means something to us. Yeah. If, if, it, if, if at, at least it means we get to talk about it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. on the show, you know, like I look over at best director, cold war. It's nominated. Great movie. I would love to talk about that movie on here. There's really no other um, route to go with that movie. Same with same with the first reform. Same with Mind in the Gap. Uh, there's these films that we have a reason to talk about them, which is like what I'm grateful for the Oscars for. Um, Hereditary. <laughs> neither of us, neither of us had it in our top five, you know, religion movies. It could be there. I feel like I've talked about the movie too much <laughs> to to, uh, to put it in another top five um, throughout all of our shows. I, I, there's it's no secret, but it should be here. It should be in Best Picture. That is that movie created a really cool kind of word of mouth thing that like Parasite did, and made about you know made a lot of money, made a lot of money, and then when it was out on you know I remember vividly it came out on Amazon Prime shortly after its theater run 
And it created this, it was like one of the most watched movies on Prime for those first you know, couple of weeks because it like created this storm of when horror fans like something and are like, no, this is really good. They spread the news to everybody. It's not just about horror fans anymore. It's like, hey, this movie's really good even if you just like movies. It's not, it's not just a jump scare or one of those ones that just has you know, slasher stuff going on. It's a good fucking movie, a good drama that happens to be horror. So can't believe that's not here either. You know, I think they had a chance to make this a really cool, really cool best picture group, including Hereditary, including Infinity War, including, you know, First Reformed. And they just, they just kind of fucked it up as usual. Yep. And as I did like Green Book, I thought it was funny. I thought it was cute. I thought it was pretty on the nose. Like, oh, racism's bad. Wow. Cool information there. But uh, <laughs> it basically is, is driving Mr. Daisy. Ultimately, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I found I, I treated it as like people are not going to like this, but I'm laughing, so fuck it. Correct. Yeah, I, I, I saw in theaters and by myself, and I was like, people were walking out like that was great, and I was like, yeah, but this is going to get some backlash. <laughs> there was a lot of older white people in the theater with me, and they were like, yeah, see. We can, you know, we can overcome this stuff, racism and stuff. You know, it's going to be okay. And you're like, sure. Yeah. Bunch of old people uh, in the South watching a movie about racism being bad and being like, see, we're doing yeah. the right thing now. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah, neither, neither do I. Uh, <laughs> good stuff. Well, is there anything else you want to talk to with the, this ceremony? I think, I think we got it covered. I think First Reformed was a gem that got widely ignored. And I wonder if the A24 stamp has anything to do with that. Because, like, sometimes, you know, like Moonlight, for instance, got high recognition. But I can't really recall any other A24 films that got that far. No. Um, Florida Project got some love. Um Jesus, I'm having a hard time even thinking. I mean, yeah, a lot of the ones that we love, no. Yeah. No, they just, they, they get kind of shut out. I, I know I've read somewhere that they have a handful of nominations, but it's a lot of technical stuff or, or music or this or that. It's very rare that you see, yeah, Best Picture. Moonlight is definitely an outlier. Um, which makes sense, the movie. Uh, Minari, Minari is a Best Picture nominee. That was A24. Um, yeah, that's that's a great great point. I've always wanted to do something involving all the A twenty four movies. Just kind of do like a draft of some sort. Maybe we got somebody else on with us, you know, kind of talk about our favorite A twenty four movies and what we like about the company and what we don't like. I think it's so fascinating. They've got so many different kinds of movies now. Um, they've been around for almost ten years. Yeah, that sounds like a great uh, vehicle for uh, Adam or Jeremy to make a reappearance. Yeah, exactly. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, but we got to wrap it up at some point, right? Um, I have COVID right now, so I've, I'm, I'm, I've been trying my best. I'm definitely feeling pretty weak. I'm like fatigued from just talking, <laughs> from just talking. Well, and fatigued from the fucking subject matter. You know, I think we both figured out that we're fucked uh, <laughs> throughout this episode. That's okay. You know, uh, I'm going to go in the other room. I'm going to hang out with my, hang out with my wife. We're going to watch some fucking TV show that doesn't matter at all and have fun with it, you know, uh, and move on to the next day. Uh, I love hearing you say my wife. 
Yeah. My wife. That's yeah. great. Uh, so good. Um, so Wednesday, got a really cool movie coming up uh, for episode 195 of Filmgasm, Shaun of the Dead. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Starting the gauntlet leading up to our 200th episode of the Filmgasm podcast. We're all very excited. We're all having a great time. We got some killer horror films coming up. Starts with Shaun of the Dead. Cannot wait. Good, 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 good. Yeah, I see on right now, I see the schedule and I'm like, holy fuck. These are some great movies. <laughs> I, I'll try to keep up with uh, Oscar Sunday. We'll try to keep up with the content. Um, and then on Friday, Jesus Christ, The Pacifier on Beyond the Bad. I, I haven't seen that movie since I saw it once and I think that's enough. We really wanted to go after Vin Diesel. We've, we've teased it so many times. We've gone after him just randomly because we wanted to. But now we have a full reason and the pacifier is uh, the time he tried to be, you know, tried to go the Dwayne Johnson route. What a, what a surprise. And become a Disney uh, leading man. Didn't work out. So we're going to tackle the pacifier. Brilliant. Brilliant. Can't wait. And the next week we are doing a movie that hits its 20 year anniversary soon. A movie that we both wanted to do for so long. In fact, I've, I've waited. I love this movie. It's my favorite Tom Hanks performance. I've waited to watch this movie just because I know we're going to, we're going to do it on here. And I've been waiting for years, literally to, to rewatch it. Cause I, I loved this movie in high school and uh, it's road to perdition from 2002 mm. 75th Academy Awards. Got some love. It won best cinematography. It got, it got some love at that, that ceremony. And I think it's one of the best movies from that year. Uh, I think it could rival, you know, stuff like the two towers. So I'm very, very excited to talk about it rewatch it talk a little gangster films maybe we might do we'll, we'll probably do some sort of top five um i think it would be cool to do either top top five tom hanks performances or yeah oof, or yeah i know just thinking about the hundred things he's done or it would be cool to do because it won best cinematography i think it'd be cool to do top five cinematography winners and not ever but do like a certain amount of years Maybe like the past 20 or 30 years. I don't know. I'm down for that. Cinematography is always fun to talk about. And highlighting yeah. cinematographers is something I always enjoy. Yeah, just how a movie looks. So, yeah, maybe we'll do that. Well, either way, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, that's a, that's a movie we've both been kind of just fucking getting ready for. It's, it's, it's a personal favorite for both of us. So, it'll be cool to kind of tackle something we both respect a lot. Oh, yeah. Road to Perdition is such a beautiful haunting film i'm very excited to do this one I've, I've been wanting to do this one for years ah. yeah yeah and at the time the time is right 20th anniversary coming up so feel, feels good uh follow us on on instagram twitter uh, facebook at at filmgasm check out our website we've always got reviews up all kinds of random shit connor is watching an unhealthy amount of movies lately uh <laughs> and, and writing writing reviews for them my one of my favorite things to do is go on filmgasm and just be like what the hell? Like, cause it'll be something for the shows. And then it's clearly something that you're just watching on your own for the hell of it. And it's always just kind of off the wall, crazy stuff that you're just going for. So um, I, I always love just kind of looking at our site and seeing what you're up to. Uh, and, you know, keep watching movies, guys. We'll see you on Wednesday for Shaun of the Dead.